Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Merry Christmas. If you don't know me, if you're visiting, my name is Steve Yates. I'm also one of the pastors here. And over the last few weeks, we have been attempting a, a process of translation. Um, we've been trying to look at what are very, very familiar passages, uh, not only to us in the Christian faith, but really worldwide uh, because of the reach of Christianity culturally. These passages are the types of passages that uh, get summed up on Christmas cards. And because they get summed up on Christmas cards, they just fly right past us. And today's passage is, in fact, one of those probably that has the most compression if you will. Um, I do not know the last time that I uh, even personally looked at uh, the story of the shepherds and the angelic declaration to the shepherds of Jesus' birth that was not compressed, minimized into a couple of words, perhaps a a tiny little picture on the front of a Christmas card. And so this morning, as Estella comes and reads, uh, my great prayer is that we would indeed Uh, have fresh eyes uh, to see and to hear what the Lord might speak to us through his word this morning. This is a reading from Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, indeed you broke into history, and we celebrate that. We are excited, and we're also tired. We are compelled by who you are and what you've done, and we are also distracted as this season brings about many, many different emotions and activities. Would you calm us now, focus us, help us to hear from you, Jesus. We pray in this name. Amen. All right, let's unpack the story for a minute and see again what we're looking at. Jesus has just been born, perhaps even just a few hours or moments ago, and about two to three miles away from the town of Bethlehem, there are great fields where shepherds are keeping flocks. And and these are 
uh, nomadic shepherds. Uh, they're shepherds who have intentionally, um, as a cultural and economic practice, said it's, it's not worth it to have a house. I am living with my flocks. And by living with my flocks and sleeping where my flocks sleep and eating where they eat, I get to protect them from predators and thieves, anybody who would um, get to them. And so there's sort of this strange culture that arises through these nomadic peoples, and suddenly the sky explodes. And this is not sort of a Christmas cartoon type sky exploding with light. We're used to those special effects in movies. This is the sky exploding with the type of light that blinded Saul. This is the sky exploding with the glory of God that turned Moses' beard and hair white. This is the sky exploding literally with the light of creation when God said, let there be light. The sky explodes, and immediately they see an angel, and the angel's first words are, don't be afraid. Now, if you've been tracking with us over the last couple of weeks or months here at InTown, you will actually see this is a very common response to an angel showing up, whether we're talking about Mary a couple of weeks ago or whether we're actually reaching back to the beginning of our Revelation study with John. Do not be afraid. Do not fear is a very common response or or message from an angel. Why is that? Well, culturally, again, I want to bring us back to the Christmas card for a moment. Our view of angels has been very much shaped by um, sort of Greco-Roman Renaissance artwork um, and the Christmas card Hallmark industry. Um, If you're an executive of that, I'm sorry. I love you. I give you a lot of my money anyway. But um, at the end of the day, in in Scripture, we we don't see these kind of little pudgy, Cupid-like entities. Uh, We don't see very um, grandiose, really beautiful beings at all. Scripture really gives us a a spectrum of angels that fall really on one of two extremes. Either angels are, are so unassuming, so much like looking like you or I, that uh, individuals literally are, are questioning, did I, did I really have an encounter with an angel? Was that just a person or was that something more? I'm not sure. Or angels have a hundred eyes and a thousand heads and various animal parts and lots of wings and they exist in, you know, huge, powerful moments of glory that are meant to either symbolically or actually embody the God of the universe's power and authority. These shepherds would have grown up knowing that, yes, angelic beings do have the job of being messengers, but even more frequently than being messengers, they actually delivered God's wrath. It was an angel when they celebrated Passover that passed over the homes of those in Egypt who were believers in God. And it was an angel who visited on Egypt the plagues. It was an angel in Second Kings who killed 185,000 troops. It was an angel who stood posted at the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword. At the end of the day, most of the time in Scripture, if an angel shows up, It is not a good thing. And so, 
the juxtaposition of emotions here, when the shepherds see the glory of God and see an angel show up, and the first words out of that angel's mouth are, do not fear, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, is an emotional 180. Good news, the word literally gospel, of great joy, which will be to all people. And then they hear it, that Jesus is born. The Messiah is born, literally a Savior who's Christ the Lord. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then after that, again, a Christmas card moment often, we see not just one angel, but many. And I remember growing up, and I remember thinking, oh, the shepherds get a cool little concert. First of all, if you've ever heard um, Handel's Messiah with, like, volume, it's not just a concert. Um, And and Handel obviously was uh, inspired by this passage. But, but imagine instead of a concert, you know, Scripture is one very, very unclear on a number. We just have a heavenly host, which is sometimes an army term. Um, if it said a heavenly battalion, some of you actually might uh, have a more vivid picture of this. But, but instead of just sort of a, a more angels showing up, imagine for a moment heaven being torn open, the veil between heaven and earth being shortened for just a moment. What the shepherds are experiencing here is not just a random concert or even um, an expression of praise, a vision. No, they are actually watching what is happening in heaven as a response to Jesus finally being born. I mean, imagine, okay, angels are not having to have, have faith in Jesus. They know they have been literally attending the Son of God, God the Son, for all of eternity since their own creation. They know this is part of the plan of God, and yet even Scripture is clear that angels don't understand everything. They're not omnipotent the way God is, and boom, it happens. The plan is executed. Everything that they have been waiting for, this climactic moment happens, and they are filled with just as much praise as we'll see in a moment, the shepherds get to have. And so again, they, they sing what has become uh, famous words, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he's pleased. The shepherds are moved, obviously. They immediately run, and that's why that two to three miles is a big deal. They are leaving their flocks, their whole livelihood, and they are sprinting and if you are not a track person, Jimmy often you know, makes running analogies. I make not running analogies because not that at all. I actually had the longest mile run time in all of my middle school history um, because I, I stopped and like sat down for a little while to catch my breath, a little while being like 20 minutes, and they did not stop the clock. Um, <laughs> but, but they run, they run, and they find Jesus. They find Joseph and Mary, and actually they, the, the, the text even seems to indicate that they find some other people too. We don't know who, who those are. Perhaps they're family friends. Perhaps they're people who just heard a birth happening in a stable. You know, we imagine the stable being like way far away in the distance uh, from houses and things like that. That's not the case. Um, the stable often, or likely was built onto 
a larger home or at least close by. So obviously a child being born uh, would have been a moment that was not very private. And so, uh, so there's a group and the shepherds find this group. They tell what is happening. Um, everyone wonders. Mary, you know, is kind of just sitting there in the back. We get this beautiful picture um, of Mary. I, I actually, uh, obviously, we, we don't exactly know where Luke, um, the writer, got these accounts from, uh, but some of these things are so personal as to wonder whether or not Luke was kind of sitting with an old Mary one day, and she's just sitting there chuckling, you know, knowing, knowing what she didn't know, but she sort of knew when other people didn't. Um, we see this, and then finally they leave, and their lives are changed, and they go and they praise God as they go. It's a story, again, that in some ways we know really, really well, um, and in other ways, uh, so, so much of it just flies off the card. For me, the, the point, really a great biblical practice um, in terms of biblical studies, always just to ask, why is this here? You know, if we remember that these really were um, accounts, letters, books, not in the sense of like a bestseller that you would just grab off the shelf, but something that somebody painstakingly wrote knowing that if it would ever be more than one copy, it would have to be painstakingly copied, word count matters. And so, so Luke is, is, he had lots of choices, right? If he had talked to Matthew, if he had read anybody else, if he had talked to Mary, he could have written about the wise men, which we find in Matthew. He could have written the way Matthew did. He could have completely skipped the whole thing like Mark did and start where the action, if you will, starts with Jesus' ministry, and yet he includes this passage. Why? I think it is because really the question that, that this whole thing hinges on is, who is this good news for? Who is the good news for? This is the message that the angels say that is unique, if you will, to this. We know Jesus is born. We've already been told Jesus is born, so Luke doesn't need us to know that. But the angel tells them, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a baby who's Christ the Lord. This morning I want to talk about three words really, really quick, or, or three concepts. I believe the answers to the question of who is this gospel for is that this gospel is for you. Gospel is for you. Also, it's not for you. That's a little bit of a controversial one that we're going to talk about. And, but then let's circle back around and say it is for you. This gospel is for you, and it's not. And it is. First of all, this gospel is for you. We see there, obviously, as I said, the gospel is for you. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Um, this idea of it being for you, who are these shepherds? Again, shepherds, nomadic, living with their flocks. Shepherds were an interesting concept here at this point in time in the New Testament. Sometimes people want to, to deride the shepherds as being dirty or... Um, 
something kind of like low members of society. That isn't necessarily correct. They don't have social stratifications exactly the same way as we think about them today. Shepherds were a much needed part of society. Their job was incredibly skilled. At the same time, because of the nature of their job, they weren't going anywhere. They weren't going to accumulate property. They weren't going to own homes. They weren't ever going to leave the shepherding business. So there was always this aspect of them being kind of humble and lowly, that they, they were like David, they were like Israel, and yet they were never not going to be what they were. And so for the angel to come and to speak to them, we need to think about the implications of that. Up to this point, again, in Luke at least, we literally have two couples, four people, know about the birth of Jesus. Well, four people and a, what, six-month-old with John the Baptist know about Jesus. Mary, Joseph, and then Mary's cousin Elizabeth and her family know about Jesus. We, we don't actually know. No one else has been told specifically yet in Scripture. And so the fact that these shepherds are told and not somebody more important, not somebody who could somehow confirm these things, not somebody who, whose testimony would be valuable in a very different way, it's a big deal. It communicates something to us that, that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, what Jesus was going to come and do was not something that was meant to be adjudicated in a court of law in a moment, in this moment. It was not something that was going to be um, proven by Israelite law, Israelite courts. It was not something that was going to be certified. Jesus was not going to be raised in a palace court. He was not going to be raised with the certainty that you would expect surrounding such an individual being born. No, he was going to be a nobody in many respects. He was going to be humble. He was going to be lowly like these shepherds. But because of that, that meant that if, if they get this wonderful news, if they get this incredible vision, is anyone unworthy of getting this vision? Is, is anyone not privy to this news? I think it's important for us to see that if we actually combine back Luke and Matthew, that all of the people who end up finding out about Jesus in this early period are people who would not normally fit into who you would want to know something this important. The Magi are wise men from other countries who do not necessarily believe theologically anything close to what we would believe as orthodox. The shepherds are shepherds. Mary is a mid-teenage girl, awash in scandal, as is her older husband, a barren family, Elizabeth and her family. At the end of the day, no one in this story has any credentials whatsoever. And as a result, we today can have that same sense of acceptance. The message comes to us. It comes to us not because of our position, 
not because of our heritage, not because of our nationality or our skin color. It comes to us not because of our theological understandings. It comes to us literally out of the blue. Maybe not in in a supernatural experience in the same way as this, but it comes to us in the sense that we do not earn the right to hear this message. It simply comes. I think this is, is doubly important because when you think about culturally today, we kind of embody two ends of a spectrum and we want to embody them at the same time, right? Culturally, we want to be it. We are all about self-improvement and, and being, being worthy, being big, being awesome, being um, even in a Southern sense that we want, don't want to be too much. You know, the dieting industry spent $78 billion or we spent on trying to look better if you don't care about that and you just care about like your mind or other skills to develop, that's fine. You spent another $38 billion on that. At the end of the day, we want to be everything. At the same time, politically, we kind of want to be nothing because we love being the underdog and we want to say whether we're on the right or the left or the whatever that we, we are the ones who deserve to be looked at and cared about and listened to. We're the ones who haven't been listened to for so long. But you don't see these shepherds doing that at all. This is for everybody. The shepherds, there is no mention of political or theological persuasion. We barely even get the sense that they're Israelites. And yet, they hear this message. And so this morning, in the same way, this good news that Jesus came to save the world. Jesus came to make things new. Jesus came to undo the great curse of sin and death and destruction in this world. It is a message for you. And it's also not. I grew up uh, with a couple of different Bible translations, um, including some beautiful memories of the King James Version. So please, if you have that in front of you today, don't hear me hating too much on it. But there is um, a cultural piece coming back to our Christmas cards that's often... Um, excluded from our recounting of this passage. In verse 14, the angelic host's message, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, is actually where the King James Version ends in a couple of texts. But most scholars believe that there's something else added there, and that's why in most modern translations you see a couple of more words there. And they don't look good on a Christmas card or a Charlie Brown special. Glory to God on the highest and on earth peace, right? Worldwide peace, goodwill. No, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Suddenly the universal has been shrunk. And thus we start debating who are, who's the shrunk to? Where are the boundaries? I don't want to get into a discussion on on choice or on uh, Calvinism or God's sovereignty or anything like that. I I think that would actually really um, distract us from, from what I actually think is being said here. Last week, Jimmy talked about the supernatural, and he talked about this idea that that if you're actually thinking about these as real events, you have to deal with the fact that they're real events. You can't be objective and just stand back and just sort of have this, oh, I'm going to judge everything 
from my position of omnipotence. No, you actually are a part of the world. And if you're a part of the world, something else is outside of you. We can debate on what that is, but you're a player in all of this. In the same way, yes, this good news is for you, but it's real news. If a baby was actually born who is really Christ the Lord, then that has implications for you and for me. It has implications that mean there can't just be a general well-wishing of goodwill here happening by God or angels or anybody. To be honest with you, if I am dying of an incurable disease, I don't need well wishes. I don't need good vibes. I need a cure. I need victory. I need help. And that's what's being declared here. Jesus is the shot across the bow of sin and death. This is the shot heard around the universe. This declaration that Jesus, this is why we sing, we sing that song based on Mary's Magnificent that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And that song kind of is a little scary because it can sound a little political at times. Well, there, there are real implications here, again, that don't fit on well-wishing cards. Because if there's a real war, if there's real death, if there's real sadness and brokenness, then there is a real cure. There's a real, there's something to be really struggled with, to really be responded to here. And, and, and I think so often the reason we can bemoan kind of the death of Christmas as a Christian culture, but, but the reason that bemoaning is happening is because a flattened Christmas is actually really palpable and easy for people. I mean, it's easy to wish people goodwill. It's a lot harder to say God's actually coming and a reckoning is happening. Even if that reckoning is awesome, even if that reckoning is ultimately everything you and I's heart has ever longed for, it's still something real. And we exist in a culture that, that no longer uh, deals with absolutes like that really, really well. All that to say, we also as a church are not incredibly great at doing that either on the opposite end. This morning, my great longing for in town, well, first of all, if, if you're here this morning and, and this idea of kind of Christianity is sort of just something that's been kind of wishy-washy in your head, you're, you're not a believer at all. Um, you're not settled on it or not. My great hope is that you, are, you feel loved here and welcome, and you don't feel like you need to lie or you need to, um, to, to, to sort of act apart. No, I, I would love for you to be here and be a non-believer and, um, and just love being a part of who we are because I would love for you to be able to honestly wrestle with this real, actual event. And I need this to be a place of honesty, and I need my own life to be a place of such honesty and grace that I am not put off by, annoyed by, inconvenienced by people who need to actually wrestle with this. I mean, that, that's the sad reality, right? 
Church would be a lot easier if we all just lied about who we were. Church would be a lot easier if we just all learned how to play a part and came here and got our good, good vibes and went home. It'd be easier. But in all honesty, it, it ended up being so easy we would just stop coming, and that's really what's happening in our world today. No, we need to actually really wrestle with a real Jesus. And that's why when I say this gospel isn't for you, I don't mean it's not for you, but I, I mean that it's real and actual and deserves to be wrestled with and dealt with, pondered over, prayed about, cried about, grieved over. And I'd love to do that with you, and I hope there are others here as well. I believe there are others here as well who are like that. That's why I love this church so much. And, and here's actually the, the great thing, and it's, it's the last thing. If, if this is a gospel that is universal, it's for everybody, but it's not for everybody because it's not just something that gets thrown out into the world, but we actually have to wrestle with it, and lots of people are going to say, oh, that's a real thing, you know, I don't want it. Then it really does mean it's actually for everybody. It really is for you. I'll be honest, one of my least favorite days of the year is today. It was always that way growing up. It's even more that way as a dad. And I love my kids so much. But there's this sort of climactic buildup to Christmas, right? And then I don't know when it happens around your house. My house, um, it's progressively gotten earlier and earlier as my kids wake up earlier and earlier. 3.45 was yesterday morning for us. Um, we were not allowed to touch gifts until 7. Um, but there was a riot around 6.15 or so that had to be put down to keep that, to keep that going. Um, and that meant by 10 o'clock, I mean, we were done. 10 o'clock, you know, the wrapper is off. You know, all of the food has been made. The Christmas cookies have been devoured. My house looks like a war zone. We're done. And I am exhausted. I mean, I'm, I'm so thankful for Chrissy's sister, um, just so we have reinforcements at this point. But, but I say all that as much as we're laughing because, you know, we build up Christmas as this wonderful thing, and then there's this reminder that, oh, it's not the way things are supposed to be. I mean, I can't wait for a time in my life where I get to celebrate Jesus and then not be tired of my celebration of Jesus. I mean, that's not going to come until he comes back. Please come soon, Jesus. But, but, but that happens. And even when, you know, you know, for those of you who don't maybe have an exhausting Christmas, you have a different kind of Christmas. You have a, an empty seat at the Christmas table. And this is not a Christmas carol. Tiny Tim does not come back at the end. You don't actually like this holiday because it reminds you of people who should be here and aren't. Some of you, you showed up to Christmas dinner or you planned Christmas dinner and you had people over or you went somewhere and, and the, there was this beautiful moment of being so excited to see each other and you had a great hug. And a couple of hours later, you are ready to hit the ejector button because your family is messed up. And you're reminded about how messed up you are. And we can, again, we can laugh about this because it's how sitcoms get written. But secretly, you cry yourself to sleep on the way home because, because it shouldn't be this way. 
Families shouldn't be broken and messed up. Celebration should actually be allowed to happen without exhaustion. Sometimes holidays become these great magnifying glasses, what, what, regardless of the holiday. So, so even, even completely uh, neutral holidays, if you will, become these great magnifying glasses that bring out so much in us. For Advent this year, my wife and I tried to do um, very, very short devotionals, um, five minutes or so uh, every night before the kids went to bed, and we bribed them with chocolate every single night. And if you guys were at my house, you would see at least three out of five days, you know, a, a screaming dad begging children to get into their pajamas and clean their rooms and then literally having to turn around and talk about how much Jesus loved them. We are a mess, friends. And, it's, and we can only laugh about it because it's true. And if we'd stopped laughing about it, we would cry about it. This good news is for you in your darkest moments, not a hypothetical you. This good news is for you. It's for you in the wrestling. This good news is for you, those of you who can't get this nagging idea of Jesus out of your heads even when you want to. This good news is for you when you're done. You're done with Jesus because the world is too broken. This good news is for you. This good news is for you who are tired. It's for you who think Christmas would be better off happening to other people somewhere else. This good news is for you. The more in town we can realize that this good news is for messed up people just like us and we can open our hearts and show people that is actually the time that we will be most welcome, welcoming to other people who are wrestling. I've told a story a couple of times, just insight into pastor world. Um, when you write sermons, you're doing your best and you look up things and you hear stories and places and sometimes you just file those stories away and you tell them. And then sometimes you end up doing research on the story and you find out something new. I've actually told this story before here um, of a Scottish theologian who uh, was uh, having communion, and he looks over and he sees this you know, weeping girl at the rail. It was an old-school Scottish church where you came up to have communion. And, and he looks over, and I'm not even going to try to butcher the accent, but he does, in fact, say, history records it as lassie, don't worry, you can take it. It's for sinners, to speaking of communion. Well, his name is John Duncan, he was a theologian um, in Scotland um, in the 19th century. Here's what I didn't know. John Duncan had a very interesting relationship with Jesus. There are entire years of his life that his journals record him struggling to find one iota of strength to pray. There are other times in his life that he had such a vibrant ministry that we know about him over a century later by his writings and his theology and the, 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 the testimony of the Church of Scotland. And yet on this particular day, 
this, this man in the story in some ways has sort of been my like pastoral hero or, or one of them, right? Oh, he understands grace so well that he can look over and see this weeping girl who thinks she doesn't deserve Jesus and he can just go, oh, but you do deserve Jesus. No, the actual reality is that he showed up at church that day and he did not believe the good news was for him. And that's a big deal on like an old school communion way because if a priest is bringing you communion and you have to like sit there at the rail and tell the priest no, and you're literally known as like a public Christian. I mean, I've, I've thought about that before. Like what, what happens if I'm supposed to be leading the Lord's Supper here and in the, in the moment of leading you all, I'm like, ooh, I'm, I'm really not ready to take this. It's not a great, not a great image, Right. And yet, what actually happened in that story is that he looks over at this girl who is weeping. He realizes that the grace of God is for her. And in so doing, remembers that the grace of God is for him as well. As you understand the reality of the good news, given for the world, but also real, not cheap, not flattened, not just some good vibe sent into the universe, but an actual real Savior come with real implications. And you recognize you are radically unworthy of such a Savior to come, and yet you realize that he's come anyway. Oh my. That's the gospel, friends. It's not just a one-shot the gospel comes, you hear it, great, it's about me. I get to spend the rest of my life singing Christmas carols and moving on with my life. It's a day in and day out recognizing that you're a mess, that I'm a mess, and the people around us are messes, and they are welcome, and you are welcome at this table because of an actual Savior. So that's what we're doing right now in the flesh. You are welcome here not because of a general statement that says, hey, this is just open to anybody, it's just a religious tradition, whatever. No, you're welcome here because Jesus sat with 12 disciples who were a mess and he offered this to them. And Mary, even though I'm certain she and Luke sat and she chuckled about you know, knowing some stuff, she also remembered the time that she went to Jesus and was like, are you sure? Maybe you need to stop. John the Baptist had to send runners to Jesus to say, are you really who I thought you were? This life that we live, friends, is always a journey in a direction with Jesus holding our hand and Jesus carrying us and Jesus urging us on. And some days you will wake up and you know that he is Lord and you say it handles Messiah. And then there are times that the best you've got is the Holy Spirit's cry for you because you don't even have words anymore. You don't even have tears anymore. The gospel is for you.